Hey, you can continue clapping. That's good. We can thank the Lord. Um, you know, and even with that in mind, I was thinking, um, uh, which by the way, you guys just, just want to welcome you, say hello, good morning. I'm thankful we're together. Even though you feel so incredibly far away, uh, pray that in the next 25 minutes or so, I keep my distance from the edge. Um, I was joking with Keith Anderson. He, he said, hey, if you needed to, Justin, you think you could jump that gap? I thought, uh, you know, maybe if the ground was giving out or like an elephant was charging after me or something, like maybe. Um, so just if I need to, can I count on you guys to like reach out? Okay, so just, just stay awake. Um, no, but what, what I was saying is clap and then realize uh, there's just an amazing reality here. Um, something that the Lord continues to be teaching me uh, just recently in regards to me being a, a newer dad and my uh, almost 11-month-old son, Bennett. He just learned how to start clapping, and one of the amazing things, and it's so cute, you know, first, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's really like sloppy, but like he's getting pretty coordinated with it, it actually sounds like a clap, and let me tell you what, um, I, I, I've had a, well, I must be honest and real with you guys for, for a couple moments here, well, all these moments, but really, but really this week, um, if we're honest with ourselves, is anyone just really feeling a little tired, uh, maybe a little discouraged, uh, maybe, maybe burned out? Okay, um, here's the thing, every single time, I've, I've had those feelings a lot this week for a number of different reasons. Um, by the way, you've noticed a lot of the, just the collective raising of hands, we're in this together. But every, every time that I've either gotten home from the end of the day to the, you know, like from working here, or when I go into my son's room in the morning, when I walk in and he sees me, you know what he starts doing? He starts clapping. His eyes light up. When the presence of his dad walks into his bedroom, he starts clapping. So here's one. I just want to recognize the presence of our Heavenly Father is in the room today. Okay? So can we just clap and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I mean, we may not see it. We may not realize it or recognize it. But it's true. It's true. And I, at a time of the year when I think most of us, many of us, if not most, are inclined or on the brink of burnout, there actually lies an opportunity for our hearts to be reignited with a fresh burning. And what I want to explore this morning is a passage. It's in Luke 24. You can turn there in your own copy of the scriptures. Luke 24, 13 through 35, is a passage that wonderfully displays God's pursuit of us and discover how we can be transformed from having a burned out heart into having a burning heart. That's my prayer for this morning. And so would you, would you join me in prayer um, and ask the Lord to do that uh, through his presence and the power of his spirit and his transforming word. So Father, I just want to pause right now and I want to say thank you that you are here. Lord, you, we sung just a few moments ago the lyric that you have made a way for all to enter in. Jesus, you are that way. I pray that you would help us to see that and to take hold of the opportunity. Lord, I, I recognize that we can only come to you as we are, just as I am, Lord, with all of our mess, with all of our distraction, with all of the division of our hearts, with all of the weight of responsibility that we may be feeling, with all of the different anxieties and things pulling us in a million different directions. 
Lord, we can come to you feeling burned out today, but Lord, I thank you that even though we come to you as we are, I pray that as a result of our time together today, we would not leave as we are. But Father, that by the work of your, of your grace and the work of your spirit through your word, Lord, pray that this time would be leveraged to transform our hearts from being burned out to be burning for you. So Jesus, we ask all this in your mighty name and for your glory we pray. Amen. So there, there are two central questions in this text. And by the way, this is one of my favorite scenes in Scripture, of one of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. And again, we are coming off of Easter, and we have um, a lot of different things even coming ahead of us here. But we're, I love the last couple of weeks. We're just taking some time and really focusing on um, what does this look like, a resurrected life, and to uh, how does Jesus' resurrection bear uh, upon um, our lives. And so there's two central questions in the story as we read through it. Um, first, I want to ask this, how did these two disciples go from being slow of heart to having burning hearts? And yet, number two, how did their eyes go from being kept, this says that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus, to being opened to recognizing Jesus? So here's the big idea of this story, I'll just give it to you on the front end, okay? It, this big idea of this story, of this scene, is about how Jesus transformed two disciples with slow and foolish hearts that were ridden with unbelief into having burning, faith-filled hearts that were full of fervency to proclaim the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Well, for you and I this morning, how can we go from having burned out hearts to having burning hearts? Now see, this story in many ways chronicles the convergence of two key elements in our walk of faith with Jesus. We have to use that language. How's your walk with Jesus? How's your faith walk? going. But just like walking takes both legs, our faith walk with Christ has two irreplaceable pillars. And they're simple. I'm not giving you really anything new here. I'm stirring us up by way of reminder this morning. The two irreplaceable pillars or the, the legs of our faith walk with Christ are simply prayer and the word. And some might ask, and I've been asked this, which is more important? Which comes first? And my answer is yes. Uh, what's more important you're, when you're walking, your left leg or your right leg? What's more important when you're flying, the left wing or the right wing? Okay, both are necessary. And so the two legs of our walk of faith with, with, with Christ, with, with our Lord, is prayer and the word of God. But yet, may I suggest that some of us this morning, we're trying to get by on a faith hop. We're limping along rather than a faith Walk. So how can those two legs be restored? So in the same way as happened as two disciples, I want to explore this morning how our hearts can, be burn, can burn again by recognizing Jesus with fresh eyes of faith. So the first thing is this. Our hearts will burn when we walk with Jesus in prayer. Our hearts will burn when we walk with Jesus in prayer. Here's how I see this in the text. It says in verse 13, That very day, so the very day that Jesus was raised from the dead, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And get this. And they were talking with Jesus, uh, they were talking uh, with each other about all these things that had taken, that had happened in Jerusalem. So this is, looking back, what had happened in Jerusalem. Well, there was this Jesus, he was crucified, and all, the, he, all this stuff had happened. And it says this uh, in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, 
we actually learn two really key elements about prayer in this, in this short section. First, prayer is not talking about Jesus, it's talking with Jesus. We never actually initiate in prayer. We're not the initiators, we are the responders. And see how in the story, these two disciples were talking and discussing together. It says Jesus himself drew near and went, here's an important word, with them. Jesus personally seeks out and initiates a conversation with these two wandering disciples. And yet, the text says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so, the topic of their conversation literally shows up in person and they don't see it. They go from talking about Jesus to talking with Jesus and they don't get it. How is that possible? And see, the reason is, is made clear a little bit later on in the story, but let's examine this incognito conversation, so to speak, a little further. Prayer involves simply having a conversation with Jesus. Again, I know this is basic. Remember that thinking, whoa, this, I, this is blowing my mind this morning. Just, wow, never thought about this before. Okay, we need to be reminded sometimes, though. Notice the two questions that Jesus asks these two disciples. And I'll read them in a second. He says, and then, but, but, but think it, keep this in mind. When you see Jesus asking a question, um, you know it's not because he's lacking information. He's exposing something in our hearts. But I want to see what gets exposed in the heart of these two disciples during this conversation. So if you read back with me, it says in verse 17, And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And then one of them said, uh, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And I love this, Jesus, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered them up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it's now the third day since these things had happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, they didn't see. And so Jesus asks these two questions, and here's the thing I think it exposes in their hearts. First, it reveals the disciples' attitude, and the second question reveals their actions. Their attitude, they were sad, they were gloomy, even a bit sarcastic as they were dumbfounded that this stranger didn't know what was happening in Jerusalem recently. And, but Jesus presses further and asks the question, what things? Which, by the way, I love the humor here, right? I mean, just Jesus here, like, playing dumb, but yet he's seeking to gently and yet graciously lead them into a transformational encounter with himself. But moving forward, the second question reveals their actions in their response to their attitude. They were traveling away from the very place where all these things took place. And additionally, their actions basically are showing what they really believe. And how many know that you can tell what someone really believes, not just by what they say, but by what they do, right? And so they go on to explain Jesus' death, their thwarted hope, their false messianic expectations, their curious speculations about Jesus' potential resurrection. And let me just ask you, if it was the very day that Jesus was risen from the dead, and uh, you had heard these testimonies about an empty tomb, and you actually talked to people that went there, wouldn't you, like, at least stick around for the day? Like, maybe the afternoon, at least, before, like, well, 
I don't know, that seems kind of weird. Just We're going to go to Emmaus, and who knows why they're going to Emmaus. Maybe they live there. Some suppose that, that these two disciples were husband and wife, and that's where they lived. They're going back to their home because they thought, well, it didn't happen like he said. And here's the thing. This is why the level of prayer in our lives truly demonstrates what we believe about God. And now comes the confrontation. Jesus responds in verses 25 and 26, and he says this, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus graciously yet boldly addresses the main issue, the condition of these disciples' hearts. Why were their eyes being kept from recognizing him? It says because of their unbelief. They were slow to believe. And here's the problem. Here's the problem that they were experiencing and that one that is even more relevant today than ever is are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Why were these two disciples kept from recognizing? It's because they were foolish and slow of heart to believe the word of God. As one author put it, their outward inability to recognize Jesus mirrored their inward unbelief of what the scriptures revealed about him. Now, Jesus intended to help them see, but notice the priority. Jesus, before he opened their physical eyes, he was going to open their heart eyes. Why is that? Because when God ordains to happen to, for, for things to happen contrary to our expectations, like Cleopas not expecting Jesus to, to die, or the reality that the road to glory is paved through suffering, those are the times that we're tempted to doubt and to lose faith and, as a result, lose sight of him. These disciples were discouraged. And here's the other thing. I have a mentor of mine that says a, a d- discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective. And so Jesus is helping them see something in a fresh way. He's helping them regain their perspective. And so this idea, but um, not being able to see him doesn't mean that he isn't right there walking with us. It's maybe that we may not recognize him. You see, unbelief is blinding. And in the same way that these disciples didn't recognize Jesus, how often, beloved, do we by our own heart condition, by our own maybe distraction, by our own discouragement, uh, by our own unbelief maybe, we're re- we're, we don't recognize that Jesus is with us. I almost wonder what would happen if Jesus showed up and sat down next to you this morning and said, hey, uh, what, why are all these people here? What's going on? You're like, well, we're like, dude, are you a transfer student? Like, what's, like, <laughs> this chapel, like, this is what we do here, okay? Like, just sit down or whatever, do your homework, sleep, whatever you want to do. Um, okay, and he was like, well, hold on. Like, yeah, but what do you do? What do you do here at chapel? <sighs> chapel is a daily opportunity to encounter God together towards transformation. It is Christ, because you just rattle off the, the chapel vision statement, right? Because you got all of that memorized, right? Okay, okay. And he's like, oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, so anyway, yeah, just pay, pay attention now. <laughs> whatever. I wonder how often... Do we miss Jesus? Do we miss and miss recognizing that he's actually with us? Because if we actually recognize that he's with us wherever you're at this morning, that changes literally everything. But yet Jesus draws nears to these disciples in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their mess, in the midst of their discouragement, and he does the same with us today. Doubts do not scare Jesus or cause him to avoid you. He loves you with immeasurable grace and unfailing mercy. He displays his perfect patience. He meets us where we're at. But as I prayed early, he wisely leads us to trust him so that we do not remain as we are. And so the disciples here, what Jesus was doing to these disciples was showing this key emphasis. That, that 
He was going to go away. He was going to send the Father. That, that, and when he did that, he told his disciples earlier that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And actually, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I don't go, I won't send him. And to, to recognize that it doesn't make sense to us, but yet, Je- but, but yet the Holy Spirit in us would actually be better than Jesus' physical presence beside us. And while this doesn't make sense or seems foolish to us, I, I love the idea that the Lord uses the foolish things uh, to shame the wise. And as a Hillsong lyric says, faith makes a fool of what makes sense. So the question becomes, will I walk by faith in the wisdom of God or will I walk by sight in the foolishness of man? Jesus will indeed build these disciples' faith back up from a weak, smoldering wick into a burning fire. And what happens next, beloved, is simply amazing. And I wish I could have been here for this part. For the whole thing, but especially this part. Not only will our hearts burn again when we walk with Jesus in prayer, in conversation with him, recognizing his presence continually with us, but also our hearts will burn when we walk with Jesus in the word. And I love this in verse 27. After he confronts their slow, the hearts that are slow to believe, he says this, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many like to sign up for that class? How many would put your name on that Bible study, right? Okay, yeah, sign me up. So here's the thing. These two disciples, again, not even realizing it, embark on a Bible study with the author himself. Now, we don't know at what point in the seven-mile journey that Jesus initiated in, uh, contact with them and, and started conversing with them and started walking with them, but roughly, if we're walking at an average pace, it roughly takes about two hours to walk seven miles. And, uh, at least, you know, according to the, you know, Fitbit, right? Um, but uh, I don't know what point they did, but here's the idea, is that, that's, that that would take some time. So they were walking with Jesus in the Word for hours. And the mysterious man here, now, uh, this, this, as this mysterious man for two hours walked Cleopas and his friend through the entire Scriptures and explained all the references to Christ, the fire of their faith that was that was extinguished on the hill of Golgotha was beginning to flare back into life and burn with that familiar hope. Their hope that Jesus was indeed the Christ. Could it really be true? Jesus resurrected? But here's the thing. Before we move on in the story, we must take this, make, a, make a couple crucial uh, observations and implications here about the Word of God. And sometimes the most profound statement is the statement of the obvious. You probably all heard this before. But the Bible is all about Jesus. Uh, if you haven't gotten that yet here, um, let me just cue you in on that. That'll change the way that you read the Bible. These disciples were, get this, talking about all these things. That was what, that had happened. Jesus then asked them what things these two were distraught and confused about. This, the things that had happened here in Jerusalem in these days. And now, Jesus will make sense of all of these things as part of God's master plan by explaining how he himself is the one thing the Bible is all about. So Jesus indeed is the redeemer of Israel as he's men in hope, but not in the way they expected. Jesus' mission is ultimately to redeem all nations by reconciling them to himself by the blood he shed on the cross and give them an eternal life with an unfading heavenly inheritance by his resurrection of the dead. I wonder what this conversation would have been like. I, 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 and and here's, here's my speculation, okay? This is, this is me, this is in Bible, okay? We, we don't know what verses or what he talked through and the Hebrew Bible didn't have the same breakdown in terms of the addresses that we use, the chapter and verses, but for our sake to understand where it's coming from, I'll use them. So I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if the conversation was something like this. 
hey guys, um, so do you remember back in Genesis, to begin with Moses, uh, you know, it says, I'll put enmity with, between you and the woman and between your offspring and, and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and he shall bruise his ear. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hey, that was me. That was talking about my ultimate victory over Satan. Oh, and do you remember when Abraham, you know, was called out by God and he said, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That blessing? Um, yeah, that's me. Um, and uh, remember in Deuteronomy 18, and you know, Moses is the prophet of prophets, right? The Lord, you see, he's, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that at, in, in synagogue that, you know, when I was a little boy. Uh, I'm, the, I'm that prophet. I'm that prophet. Yeah, do you remember, remember King David? We all know King David, right? Yeah, in 2 Samuel, um, when it says, you know, he says, when your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your father. So this is David's death. I'm going to raise up from your offspring after you. You shall come, that'll come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne in this kingdom forever. That's, a great, that's one of my favorites, man. I have it on my coffee mug at home. Yeah, um, um, yeah that, that king that's going to reign forever, um, it's, it's, it's me. Uh, oh, do you remember the prophets, right? Remember Isaiah in 53 and Isaiah? He says he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his stripes you will be healed. Yeah. That was my crucifixion three days ago. That, that, that's what was happening there. Um, and, and then do you remember Psalm 1610? For you will not abandon my soul to death or let your holy one see corruption. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was the resurrection that happened just a few hours ago. Um, and I'm here now. And, and do you remember in Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make an enemy as your footstool? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, again, I've been given all power and authority. I'm going to send to my father here in just a few short weeks. And um, that's talking about me. So I wonder what this would have been like. And to use in memory another, another illustration uh, uh, is this. I, I love um, the idea of giving this overview, sweeping view of the Bible and how it is all about Jesus. And um, I, I mentioned my son Bennett earlier and um, what we've been doing. I love, I have this Jesus storybook Bible that, I, that I, we read um, every day together. And uh, sometimes uh, he's like, He's actually already started ripping some pages because he doesn't quite get it. But I, I, I want him from, a, from, from his months, from his very beginning, I want his heart to burn with the scriptures. I'm trusting that there's, a, there's something happening there. So I, I spend time reading the word with him and, I, and then I pray about what we read together. And sometimes he's really focused. Sometimes he looks up at me with these sweet little eyes. Sometimes literally he starts clapping. And I'm like, yeah! Um, it's so exciting. But I love this. Here's the beginning. Here's how this, here's how this, here's how my son's Bible talks about what the Bible's all about. From the Jesus Storybook Bible. Describes it this way. It's saying this. It says about what the Bible's all about in mid-sentence. It says, no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible's most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue those that he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story about how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. 
This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who one day... But wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And in a sense, this is what Jesus did with these two disciples. He took them back to the beginning, and he brought all the way through, and he took them through Moses, through the prophets, and reveals how the whole Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ. The Old Testament predicted the suffering and the death on the cross, the glorious resurrection of the Messiah. It wasn't something the New Testament writers had made up, but they were employing a proof-by-prophecy apologetic and saying, the gospel is real, it is true. I love saying the, 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 the Bible is like a bow tie. You got the knot in the middle that everything is flowing towards the cross and the empty grave or everything is flowing from the cross and the empty grave. And I love that as they were walking and talking here about the scriptures, now we have this big reveal and a burning response. I love in, in verse, we read verses 28 and 29. It says, so as they're doing, they're walking and talking and having this Bible study with the author, with Jesus. It says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, Emmaus. He acted, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. Again, I love how he just kind of seems to kind of play along here a little bit. Uh, it says, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. And um, according to their custom, it was saying, it was customary to say it's day spent it's dangerous at night time come stay with with me and jesus even though he acted as if he was furling along again he's, he's testing him here hey are you gonna now um i've i've initiated with you but are you gonna extend the invitation for me to stay is i believe what, what what's happening here and they do he obliges and that jesus yields to their plea he enters their home or their inn or wherever they were staying and now comes the interesting part here's the big reveal in verse 30 it says that when he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. That is the role of the host. This would have been Cleopas and this other disciple. But yet Jesus keeps, takes the role of the host. And, and I wonder here in the breaking of the bread, this, this might be alluding back to the feeding of the 5,000 or the Last Supper. Which, by the way, these disciples wouldn't have been at the Last Supper, but they would or potentially could have been at the five, uh, feeding of the 5,000. And whether it was the actual breaking of the bread or divine intervention that caused the disciples' eyes to be open, we're not sure, but it was likely both. Um, some scholars believe that as he broke the bread, they saw the scars in his hands, and they said, oh, it's Jesus. And look what happens. It says their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and they went to go give him a big hug, but then <laughs> vanished from their sight. They didn't say that part, but he did vanish. All of a sudden, he's gone. Again, and again, almost to say, I'm teaching you, I'm training you, I'm equipping you to walk by faith and not by sight. And so yet, uh, nevertheless, once they physically recognized him, he vanished, and here comes the burning response. I love this in verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Here's where the real change is made known, beloved. The change at the heart level. Remember the two key questions that I, I, I threw out before we explored this passage? Well, now they can be answered. The questions were, how did these two disciples go from being slow of heart to having burning hearts? They took a walk with Jesus in prayer. They had a conversation with him right where they were at. Number two, how, can, how did their eyes go from being kept to recognizing Jesus to being open to recognizing Jesus? They took a walk with Jesus in the word. Jesus opened the scriptures to them, which built up their faith, which enabled them to open up their heart eyes to see Jesus for who he 
was. They were walking by faith, they were walking by sight, not by faith, which led them to drift and be sad and to be discouraged. But once they walked by faith, they were led to see, savor, and burn with affection towards Jesus. And here the burning means to express an uncontrollable longing to speak or pray, usually in a situation of distress, but it's something more than just an emotion. That because in a believing heart, of a, a burning heart is a believing heart. And it says that they went after this, um, they, 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 they went, verse 33, now shows their attitude. Their heart had changed, their actions now follow out. They rose immediately, went back to Jerusalem. Remember, now in the dark, finding the eleven, and they proclaimed and said, the Lord has risen indeed. And they said, they told all of what happened on the road and how he's made known to them in the breaking of the bread. You see, beloved, how can our hearts go from feeling burned out to feeling burning again in the midst of where we're at and i'll remind us of the two legs of our faith walk with christ of one in prayer and one in the word and i know here's the thing what 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 i'm not saying is this i'm not saying okay you just got to try harder you got to add more to your plate you got to wake up earlier you got to stay up later you got to that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about recognizing jesus is with you right where you're at and i'm talking about building in Prayer and the word sidewalks were already common footpaths exist. In other words, some of you are so busy, it's not about changing what you're doing, but how you're doing what you're doing. How can you recognize Jesus in your class coming up? How about lunch? How about your next conversation with a professor? How about that research paper that is bogging, uh, you're feeling feeling crushed underneath the weight of? Um, How about that difficult conversation you need to have with a roommate or with a family member? What about, I don't know how I'm going to graduate and I need to finish these classes and I need to get these credits figured out. Recognize that Jesus is with you. And I want to encourage you um, that as, uh, we, as we go ahead, uh, I want to encourage you. Um, here, here are three things that I think we can apply uh, th- this, this teaching and this text this next week. One, I want to encourage you to pray read the scriptures. Pray read the scriptures. 21 days to a burning heart. Go through the gospel of John. Read one chapter a day. And, ask, and, ask the, and after reading each chapter, answer these two questions. This is just an idea. You don't have to do this. Maybe you already have a Bible reading plan. How does this passage reveal who Jesus is and then worship him? And then how does this chapter call me to respond? To confess, repent, share, replace a lie in your life with the truth? How has the Lord been made known to you? And who will you rise up and go and tell? Number two, week of prayer and service is coming. Week of prayer and service in two weeks. Um, we're going to have multiple opportunities to just simply create a resting place for the presence of God. We're going to have 24-7 prayer happening here on campus. If you're interested in being a part of that, I'm leading, we're help, uh, Student Life is sponsoring uh, uh, Alternative Chapel tomorrow at G210. Um, so you can do that and you can sign up to serve starting on the rock now. Um, and, and then the other thing I want to, last thing I want to encourage you to do is just take a moment right now. Take a moment right now and just pause and be silent. Um, and as maybe some of you are walking, some of you are walking out now, I get it if you need to go, but take, take an opportunity to pause right now. And so uh, we're just going to take one minute and we're going to close in prayer and uh, uh, encourage us to see Jesus with fresh eyes of faith. And so Jesus, I pray right now for each of my dear brothers and sisters that as we're going and as we go from here, I pray that you would do what only you can do, which is to cause our hearts to burn again with a fresh, fresh passion. Lord, there's no formula. 
of combining prayer and the word, but those are the ways that we engage with you, acknowledge your presence, and commune with you on a continued basis, whether we're in chapel or in the classroom or in our dorm or anywhere in between. Lord, help us to see and to recognize you with fresh eyes of faith. And may the simplicity of these two legs of our faith walk with you, prayer and the word, be restored to the way that we are doing what we are doing as students, as workers, as employees, as roommates, most importantly, as your beloved sons and daughters. And so, Jesus, we thank you, we praise you for this time together, and I thank you in advance for what you'll continue to do through it, according to your great power and for your great glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.